So we've been in the middle of a series on the book of Daniel. So if you have a Bible, go to Daniel chapter 5, either open it up or turn it on or whatever whatever you do these days. And, uh, you know, as we... As we come to that if you're if you're a guest of ours or if you haven't been here in a while what what we're really looking at and asking ourselves is in this culture that we live in modern day babylon as we consider what it means to be a follower of jesus what it me, what it means to be on and in the way of jesus in this culture what does that mean for you and i you know if we were to honestly assess the church gone by, we would have to say that there's been two predominant responses to culture, right? We either bow to it or we revolt against it, right? We either affirm everything that culture throws at us or we revolt and we get our bullhorn out and we go down to Amelie and we yell at people, right? Or we hold up weird signs and, you know... Those have been the two expressions that those outside the church look at the church and remember. And yet what we're seeing in Daniel's life and in uh, believers' lives through really the whole New Testament, the whole Old Testament, and even in our own life, is there's a third way. We don't have to bow to culture. We don't have to uh, throw truth out the window. But we also don't have to revolt. We also don't have... I mean, Jesus prayed it in John 17, right? You are in the world. And I'm not taking you out of the world. Right? What now? (laughs) Right? I mean, do you ever just go to the water cooler at work? The proverbial water cooler. I don't know what they are these days. You probably got a cool swell bottle or something cool. All right? But you stand there at work and you think, man, I know... Or you go to school or you stand outside your house on the porch and look at your neighbor and you think, I know that I am called to this place to make a difference with the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? I think the last time Pastor Jake preached, he talked about the verse that says that God calls us to go to the hedges and highways and compel people to come in. You know, get fired up about it and you're like, I don't even know how to do that like when I go to work. Right? Like, what does that look like and I still keep my job? Right? Like, there's this tension that we feel of what we know God's called us to do and how to do it. And so what we've been looking at in the life of Daniel and the life of Daniel's friends is not these amazing things that we have that move the needle of faith for somebody, but simply... That God in His grace is aligning things in your life for you to move into this third space that we're calling influence. That God has organized and orchestrated the people in your life to be around you. And it's amazing, isn't it? The people that find their way into your life and want to spend time with you and want to ask questions of you. And, and, and I know it's true. I know it's happening because you're telling me. I hear your stories every week of the things that God's doing. And then I look at my own life and I look at, you know, who my neighbors are and what they're asking me. I mean, nobody wants to spend more time with me right now than my neighbor who is an avid Buddhist and leads in a Buddhist temple in Tampa here. 
I mean, that guy, it's almost annoying. I hope he doesn't listen to this sermon later. I love you if you do. But is that an accident? No, and, and you know what? The danger is for us to be like, oh, I'm just tired. I don't want to spend time with... And yet, we have this incredible responsibility laid at our feet. But what happens when we're supposed to step in? But what happens when you recognize that, but you also recognize that you're part of the problem? Right? What happens when I look at my own life and I don't see the person that I'm supposed to be? I think what's amazing here in Daniel chapter 5 is some of the warnings that come to the king. And I think it's tempting for us as we come to the book of Daniel to be like, I need to be more like Daniel. When the reality is, is this is set up to show you that you can't be Daniel. I can't be Daniel. Daniel couldn't be Daniel. Every time we're repeatedly pointed back to the fact that it's insane that God's using Daniel. (laughs) So as you come to Daniel chapter 5, what we're moving out of is last week we talked about Nebuchadnezzar. And Pastor Carl told us about the dreams that he was having and the interpretations of what they were. And so Daniel steps into King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, court and palace and explains these dreams. And Nebuchadnezzar hears the dream that God's going to take your kingdom away unless you repent. He hears that and his response to that is to walk outside up onto the top of his palace and go, I'm pretty awesome. Look at this kingdom that I've built. It's literally what he says. Daniel's like, God's going to judge you. (laughs) I am pretty awesome. What? I mean, to borrow Pastor Carl's language last last week, it, it, it seems ridiculous, doesn't it? But yet, if we're honest and we we think about if you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, to think about all the things we know that are in here, that you and I know are in here, and yet we do our own thing. And so that that that's just kind of the setup here is we're coming out of that, and so now we're fast forwarding twenty years. Some scholars think twenty three years later. So Nebuchadnezzar has passed away, and now we're 23 years after that. And we're in Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar's great reign has run its course. And so we meet his grandson, King Belshazzar. Now, so, uh, an interesting detail here is you're going you're gonna to hear about Belshazzar, and it's going to call him Nebuchadnezzar's son. He's going to refer to Nebuchadnezzar as his father. It's actually his grandfather. But in that, there's some important stuff uh, that, that I'll mention in a minute. But I just want you to hear that because they're going to say father, but it's actually his grandson. And we're, we're a couple decades removed from Nebuchadnezzar's reign. All right? Important details to receive. So let's just read the first 
four verses here. Look at what Daniel chapter 5 verse 1 says. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. So it's interesting, historians record a lot about these lavish parties that the Babylonians would would throw. And they would celebrate themselves and they would celebrate each other and they would celebrate all that they had done. What makes this particular one uh, extremely interesting is we know from history that what was happening in Babylon at this very moment is Belshazzar gathers this feast and he gathers them to worship these things because they are currently surrounded by an army. They are currently under siege in Babylon. And yet they had built their city in such a way that they would be uh, okay even if that would happen. And so what's happening is there's armies around them. They are under attack. They are under siege and they are ignoring it. And I wonder if that's not some of our life today. That we're under attack. What, what's the Bible say? That the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? And so we've got this knowledge of what's going on around us, and yet we ignore it. So here we are, a couple decades after Nebuchadnezzar's death. Babylon's under siege. It's not looking good. And Belshazzar calls a feast to worship the false gods and asks them to rescue and deliver him. It's interesting here. He's Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, but father in Aramaic can mean ancestor. And so some commentators think that Belshazzar was actually wanting to be connected to the greater king because his father had split the kingdom and his father was Uh, hundreds of miles away, ruling in a different part of the land. And Belshazzar didn't want anything to do with his his dad because his dad was weak in his eyes. He wanted to be connected to this greater king. He wanted to be connected to this greater dynasty, this greater power. And there's some of that in all of us, isn't there? We see things around us and we don't want them. So we get on Instagram or we get on social media or or we find somewhere that person that we want to be and we begin to worship that. I do it. It's easy to do it even in, even in church work, right? To, to look at the ideal church or to look at this or look at that and, and want that instead of what God's called us to be. And it's subtle, but it's sneaky. And we end up in this place where what God's doing and what God has isn't enough for us. And so that's where Belshazzar is. Then it gets weird. (laughs) Then the story gets weird, right? Go to verse 5. Daniel chapter 5, verse 5. Immediately. So they're worshiping 
their gods with God's things. Think about it like this. They've used God things to worship created things. That's what's going on here. He's taking good things that God gave as gifts to worship created things. And here's what happens. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. All right, don't tell me the Bible's not funny, right? Just put yourself in this situation. You're having a great time. You're having a party. You're in the palace. You're in charge. It's great. And in the middle of all of it, this hand appears like on a blank wall. Just look at the wall. Just look at it. Can you imagine if a hand just appeared and started writing in a language you didn't understand? I mean, it's too easy to just think, well, this is a Bible story. So they weren't freaked out. No, no, no. Like a hand appeared out of nowhere, writing on the wall things that you couldn't understand. You'd be freaked out too. And look at what he says. The king saw the hand, the color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. Verse 7, the king called loudly to bring in the enchanters. That's probably an understatement, right? I mean, if you saw something like that, and you were freaking out, we would be screaming. So he calls all these smart people in, and the king declares to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me the interpretation will be clothed in purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. I'll make you third in charge. (laughs) Then the king's wise men came in, but here's the reality. Here's the human limitation, the human reality of life. All the wise men come in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. So King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. But isn't it interesting? Verse 10 says the queen, not his queen, likely his grandmother or one of them, left over from Nebuchadnezzar and his reign. Because listen to the details she brings. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. She wasn't even in the party. It was like grandma didn't even care to hang out with the party. So she comes into the banquet hall and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color changed. And at that point, Belshazzar's like, yeah, you didn't see the hand, lady. There's a man in your kingdom in whom, listen to this, is a spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, who you're not measuring up to, eh, look at that, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Why? Because an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles and solve problems were found in this Daniel 
whom the king named, surprisingly close, Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. There's a lot happening there. They've taken God's things and are using them to worship created things. And just imagine the situation there. Just imagine what's going on and what's happening. Just put yourself in that place. And he gets wrapped up in it. And he can't figure it out. And so someone steps in and says, well, call for Daniel. He's got a spirit of the holy gods. And Daniel walks in and Daniel's going to deliver these warnings to the king. And honestly, what does all that have to do with us? <laughs> like, what does this story thousands of years ago about a hand appearing and writing on the wall to a king who was a loser and was about to lose the kingdom that his grandfather had built? I mean, it just sounds like your run-of-the-mill like story in history. <laughs> right? King rises to power, kingdom falls. King rises to power, kingdom falls. United States rises to power. This won't last forever. Why? Because God's in control. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But I actually believe there's some extremely important and timely things for us to consider from this story. For you and I, like today, I also believe that it, the gospel is present in this story. That there's actually good news from Jesus in these warnings to the king. Because the good news about what God is bringing to earth from heaven is found by first being face to face with the law of God. And that's really what happens here, right? If you go into the text and you listen to what's being said to the king, first of all, like the, the, the king could have killed Daniel at any moment. And yet Daniel walks into this space and, and he doesn't bow to the king and just say, what do you want to hear? He also doesn't freak out and be like, you know what, you're going to die <laughs> because you're an idiot and you're not following the Bible. Belshazzar is like, I don't, I don't even care about the Bible. But Daniel steps in and delivers God's message in a way that was incredibly important. And there's three warnings for Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar from the hand. So look at verse 25. Let's jump down. So Daniel comes in. He interprets the dream. He, he lays out the fact that Belshazzar, your kingdom is coming to an end. Historical details at the moment would say that even though, so they had built Babylon basically to be siege proof. The walls were wide enough for six chariots and armies to march around the whole thing. They had built their city over top so that the river Euphrates would run right through it so that no, they, they could farm and have water and do all the things within their walls they would never have to leave they would always be safe because the river ran through they would they would never be able to be caught it was a foolproof plan <laughs> but all of our plans are foolproof right 
but they're not. History tells us that in this moment what was happening is that uh, the Persian army was outside the gates and they had figured out a way to redirect the Euphrates River away from the city. And what happened was they got it to where the Euphrates was low enough that it was only hip high. And the armies, the Persian armies, while everybody was in there celebrating and partying that was in power, came under the wall, no problem, and destroyed the city. But in that moment, this hand comes in and delivers a message to Belshazzar that the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar This is verse 18. Greatness and glory and majesty. Nebuchadnezzar didn't build it. It was given to him. But he was driven out and made to eat grass like a wild animal. That's what we talked about last week. But in that hard word was a good word for Nebuchadnezzar. Right? And Nebuchadnezzar's response to that was to praise God. As Nebuchadnezzar came face to face with who God is, he bowed the knee. It took him a long time. It took him multiple tries. It took him multiple times because God's a gracious God. You know, the question is often not why do bad things happen to good people? The better question is why do good things happen to any of us? We know what good is because of how evil we are. And so these things are happening and and Daniel's explaining this. And then verse 25, Daniel's going to interpret what was written on the wall. So what was written on the wall was was these four words, mene, mene, tekel, and parson. What was that all about? And here's Daniel's answer. And you should read the whole story because I'm skipping through some stuff for sake of time. But look at verse 25. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. The three warnings, if you're taking notes from the hand, was this. Number one, your days are numbered. Your days are numbered. Is that not a warning for every one of us? I mean, when we really stop and think about it, our days are numbered. We're not even guaranteed tomorrow. James said your life is like a vapor. You know, like if you do essential oils, right? The little vapor comes out the top and the thing changes colors. It's real fun. But how long does that last? It doesn't last. It lasts no time. God says, your life is like that in the span of eternity. 
You're here for a little while and then you're gone. Our days are numbered. Number two, your life lacks proper perspective. It's literally impossible for us to gain the perspective that we are supposed to have. Because our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. And then number three, for Belshazzar, your reckless life will catch up to you. It has caught up to you. You've ignored the things that God has made so plain right in front of you. <laughs> and maybe you're thinking here this morning, like, Pastor, like all you've given us is terrible news so far. <laughs> and that's true. You're welcome. We'll see you next week. No, I'm just kidding. I, I do all that so, so, that, so that you and I will sit in the place that Belshazzar is sitting. That you and I right now in this moment will sit in the space where we understand that apart from Christ we can do nothing. Like that wasn't a joke that God said that. That, that when, when left to ourselves we take the things that God's given us to worship the created things instead of the Creator. That that's, that's what we do. It's where we go. How do I know that Belshazzar had done that? Because verse 23 says, Daniel tells Belshazzar, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You've lifted yourself up against God. And literally the hand of God comes with a message. Your days are numbered. You've been found wanting. You didn't find the thing you were looking for. And your kingdom's been brought to an end and given away. You know, you've heard the phrase, you can't take any of your stuff with you. You know, the hand of God's law, Martin Luther called it a hammer. The hammer of God's law. But that hammer is gracious, isn't it? It's a gracious hammer. Because what if you were never given the opportunity to come face to face with who you are so that you might see how great God is? You see, we'll never appreciate the greatness of God, the glory of God, the intensity of which He lavished His love on us unless we fully comprehend who we are. This is the gospel right here. It, it, it's Belshazzar coming face to face with who he is before the living God. Don't you just love this fact that the only help for Belshazzar was that cast off Jew named Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar found out was the one with the true message and elevated him. And apparently when Belshazzar came into power, he demoted Daniel and banished him out to some other part of the kingdom. But in the end, it was that cast-off Jew <laughs> that Belshazzar didn't want to listen to that God brought back in to deliver this message. You know why I love that fact? Because the only help for you and I is a cast-off Jew named Jesus. Amen? 
The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 to 24. He says this, For Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks ask for wisdom. But we preach about a crucified Christ, stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. Right? To the religious, the gospel is scandalous and unfair. The gospel is just unfair. Right? Like the thief on the cross. Like, he didn't do anything to deserve that. I mean, he didn't even get baptized for crying out loud. He didn't even go public with his faith. <laughs> he didn't deserve that. You know, and bring it closer to, your, to, to you. Like you. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you've worked really hard at it and then some other knucklehead comes in, gets radically saved and everybody wants to pay attention to him. It's not fair. It's just not. But look at verse 24. Love this verse. But to those who are called... Those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The writing on the wall declared the most important message that Belshazzar could possibly have heard from God and from Daniel. It was the truth about who he was. You know, when you come to the Bible, even in the New Testament, Romans chapter 3, verse 20, reminds you of who you are and what God's law is there for. Listen to what it says. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's what we need. God's law is a hammer and it does not feel good. Right? If you're taking notes, the word mene means identified. The word tekel means weighed and parson or person, depending on your translation, means judged. That's the law of God, isn't it? That when you come face to face with who you are, you are identified, weighed, and judged. <laughs> and nothing could be more gracious than for God to not allow you to think for even a second that you can do anything on your own. You see, because all humanity is racing towards their appointed time to meet with the living God. Romans fourteen twelve, And give an account for their lives. Whether we ignore that or not, it's true. Both kings, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, had the same problem. We have the same problem. And each of those kings had a different response to God's word held up in front of them. What about you? It took King Nebuchadnezzar multiple times, but he got it. He got it. Belshazzar, not so much. What a tragedy. Offered the opportunity and refused to repent. Grace was available and an eternal opportunity missed. What about those of us who have already received Christ? What about those of us that that we recognize, yeah, I was a sinner in need of a Savior, met by the grace of God, 
God's law, every time we come into this place and every time you open it up with your city group or every time you open it up to do your own personal time with God, every time we gather, the law of God reveals over and over and over again, week after week after week, of how dire the situation really is. That every week that you walk into this place, things aren't okay. From Sunday to Sunday, I pack a lot of baggage and I bring it to church. You probably have a lighter load than I do, but you bring your baggage too. Every one of us, because we're selfish. And yet, praise God that every week as we gather and we open the Word and we sing praises to the Lord, He begins to unpack that baggage. He begins to give us the grace that we need as we gather together and love and serve each other and worship Jesus. Let me say it to you this way. We need the gospel every week. Here's who you are. Here's who Jesus is. Praise God. Every week. Every week God's grace meets you as the church gathers in a fresh way. It never gets old. It's worked for thousands of years. (laughs) It never becomes familiar It's always a fresh revelation of amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And every week I choose to blind myself again to the grace of God. And every week my prayer for this church as we gather is that every week you would have a chance to be opened up, your eyes opened opened up that we might see who we are and see who Jesus is. Because you and I are never the answer to our own problem. It's never inside of us. It's always outside of us. So, we celebrate communion. That's why we come to the table. Because every week it's an opportunity for you and I to stand right at the, the table moves us into this place where we must confront our sin. We must face who we are, repent from our ways, and move towards Christ. And as a result, we get to move towards each other. It's taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I just want you to soak in these words. Here's what verse 14 says. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. That was what Belshazzar was being held up in front of him. You, you took the things of God and worshipped the things instead of the God who made the things. He worshipped the gods of gold and silver and bronze. What, what do we struggle with in our culture? We worship the gods of gold, silver and bronze. I did all week. And here I am. Flee from idolatry. I need the table today. Just like you do. Because I need to be reminded in a new way. Flee. Not figure out how to do both. 
flee, like run from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Then I love this. The cup of blessing that we bless, the table, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? There's this crazy, miraculous, gracious, mysterious, strange things that thing that happens when we come and we gather around the communion table. Where God meets with us and we participate in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, Jesus. We who are one body, for we we who are many are one body, right? No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how awesome or how dumb or no matter how different or how interesting, or it doesn't matter who you are, rich, poor, black, white, brown. My, my, we sing, there's funny, we, I'm going to lighten the mood for a minute. I sing that song to my daughter. She's two every night in bed. You know, Jesus loves little children, red and yellow, black and white. And she always makes me say, and pink. <laughs> it's like, there's probably some pink people in the world. So whether you're red or yellow, black or white or pink. What's the song say? You are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. We're all little children at the feet of God. Who have this participation in the body and blood of Jesus. Verse 18. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot, listen to this, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. What did Jesus say? You cannot serve two masters. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? It's powerful. That's why in chapter 11 he's going to say, when you do all that, you should examine yourself. You should thank God for his grace. See, we don't examine so that like, you know, we focus on who we are and what our sin is. We, we examine so that we can be, uh, have God's law, Romans 3.20, held up in front of us and recognized in a fresh way every single week that I am not who I am supposed to be. But praise God, Jesus is who I'm supposed to be. And in Him I've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ.